She's back. <laughs> Welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Amelia. What an introduction. <laughs> My first return guest to the oh. Wild Honey Collective, Andrea Russell, is back on the scene. Hey. <laughs> so, I've been thinking recently um, anew about like what this podcast is about. Mm. And specifically this season, have been exploring healing work as a practice that is cultural and collective and deeply relational in terms of where we are together in our society right now. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, so many of us aren't there and that's the problem. I'm feeling more divided as a part of this country than any other time in my life and part of that is like an awakening of political consciousness and social consciousness and part of that is the fact that like politically and socially we're being driven further apart Mm. and so this question that each conversation I'm having on the podcast this season about healing work is about exploring how we make whole again Mm. the things that are all available to us to serve our collective needs Mm -hmm. because I think that that is healing work at a time when so much is at stake Mm -hmm. for the most vulnerable and so much is at stake for everyday people living in a world where we cannot agree on what feeds us and where we want to go collectively and so I'm really excited that you're here because we are equipped Mm -hmm. to be speaking about the philosophical dimensions Mm -hmm. of where we are right now and where we want to be going and how we want to get there Mm. which is primarily in the space of the body it starts with the body Mm -hmm. and that's where our conversation is going to keep coming back to Mm. and in relation to like what this podcast is trying to ask of all of us um I think that this question of how do we make whole again what work can we do that makes whole again what we've ventured away from as a society that can really feed the the health and well-being and beauty of something that is intrinsic to us as beings in this earth mm-hmm. So the part that is wild in us and the part that can be alchemized from like the raw material of our surroundings, mm-hmm. be it like honeybees making, making honey from the nectar of flowers or mm-hmm. humans making love and compassion mm-hmm. through the... Surf, what on the surface looks like irreconcilable relationships. Mm-hmm. 
and exploring that collectively. So that is the vantage from which I'm coming in here to talk about healing work with you. Wow. Amelia, wow. I am so struck and impressed by the expansiveness of that vantage point. It's such a beautiful lens to be approaching things from and I so admire the work that you're doing and like cultivating that perspective because at least speaking personally it's so easy to get lost um I got a little lost while I was (laughs) 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 sure but like also I can tell how like intentionally you are like holding to this it's a vision it's very visionary of you and it's important to stay connected to that because I I know for myself and this is definitely a part of my healing journey it is so easy to get sucked into the specificities and particularities and really zoom into what sucks and get stuck there and so this capacity that you so clearly have this like artistic and I don't mean that in the like aloof removed from reality sense I mean artistic and crafty and like like it's important that we have visionary imaginary people to create and bring anew so I just listened to On Being with Krista Tippett the episode with Adrian Marie Brown mm. which we had talked about her in the previous episode that you and I did together and um the previous podcast and she talks about like yeah, the world that we're in, if, if I can try to quote her, is like, it's all a product of, of our imagination. Nothing is objectively true. And so these structures and these paradigms and these systems that we have in place are really just some agreed upon dynamics that certain folks put in place. And for just so long, that's, you know, mm-hmm. it's what we're comfortable with. It's what we know. It's why, like, change feels so radical and shocking and revolutionary. Yeah, And it's the part of the purpose and the role of creatives to break those molds when they are toxic and harmful and um, inequitable and to create something that checks that but of course it's all a very like messy hairy process and nobody knows what they're doing everybody's just figuring out as they go Um, and I think Gosh, I'm going all over the place here, but it really just so many things are pinged in what you were saying. There's so many places we could go. Um, I know in myself, so there's a saying that I, I heard back in college from, I want to say it was a spoken poet whose name I forget by now, but she said what's personal is universal. Mm. And I've always come back to that. It. It's such a vague saying that sometimes I question it of like, but is that, is that really true? Like, I don't, you could poke holes in that in so many ways, but on a fundamental level, this ability to hold on to our own truths and expand them and connect them and collaborate amongst each other to create this like universal truth, I think is healing, right? Yes. And... I don't even know what it was that you said that pinged this for me. Maybe it's just because, like, I think this is part of my dharma, my purpose, is, like, trying not to um, repress any part of that truth and um, really give space and honor both psychologically and emotionally and physically because it's all part of the same puzzle piece, like, 
to honor the beauty and the possibility and the immense joy that we need that is like generative and keeps us going alongside the shame and the pain and the injustice and all the things that just make us want to like fall into a puddle and die yeah (laughs) right like I I often like I'm gesturing right now like holding these two things and everything in between it because like how it's yeah yeah how do we hold all of it Mm -hmm. and I love I've said this on the podcast before it's a quote from Alexis Pauline Gums who is like a black futurist writer just like Adrienne Marie Brown yeah and she's like the like the individual is a imaginary creation Ah. of like the power structure that makes us more easily extracted from so like how can we hold it all and we need new culture. Yeah, dude. I think when we think about, like, the really compelling question about what is my purpose in this moment right now, mm. um, young people, old people, whoever you are, you're trying, there are moments of passage and reckoning in your journey that make you deeply reckon with and tangle with this question of what is my purpose. Mm. And when you're thinking about it so individualistically, Mm -hmm. it can feel so insurmountable. Mm -hmm. Like it is unique and personal to you, Mm -hmm. but it's also something that, um, like the African saying of Ubuntu, like I am because we are. You can't make sense of yourself or where you fit outside of the collective cultural context in which you fit. Mm -hmm. And whether you like it or not, like Mm -hmm. this is the culture that we belong to and that has grown us and that we need to confront and transform. Mm. And another quote that I love that has like, I would put this at the very root of this podcast Tony Cotta Bambara, the role of the artist is to make revolution irresistible. I've seen you share that before. <laughs> and I fucking love it. It's so, uh, everything about that. And why is that like the artist's role instead of necessarily like the public school teacher, the mm. Supreme Court of the United States? Mm. Fuck them. Mm. Um, <laughs> this moment. Um, and why is that not, like, the politician's role? It's because the artist is the person who can create a personal experience mm. for each individual person witnessing a collective state of reality. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, you know what this makes me think of is a memory from just, like, a, a week or two ago, I guess. Um, I'm part of a book club through through my work, and... Um, we were all on the back porch uh, discussing this this book, and somehow came through this notion that like, like you're you're saying as well this this idea of of um, individual purpose and like what am I here for is such a massive question, and it can it's so easy to take it so seriously and it's so personal, and if I don't meet it, then I'm like I've failed, way failed, <laughs> I've wasted my life, and yet like really what 
what's important there is just that you share like what you're about and what you're into and as you're saying as well like we need a culture that welcomes and supports that yeah um, oh yes yeah yeah because clearly right now we're struggling with that to like respect one another on on just like a basic level um and to believe like each other's experiences and to have compassion and to want to listen in the first place but like the beauty that happens when we share it not only as you as you've pointed to um it validates ourselves as individuals and simultaneously as as belonging members of a a collective sort of woven into the fabric of of being and we need both like mm-hmm. it's both and yeah yeah absolutely and the other the other piece of like the defining work that's happening through all of these conversations about wildness and about like alchemy Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a kind of cultural work, um, cultural worker bees. <laughs> I have experienced people around me, um, teach me that other, like a completely n- new to me and ancient form of sustenance and nourishment is possible that is not represented by any experience that I've had in my life. So what I mean by that is yeah, like what do you mean by that? I'm curious. We have this idea that our purpose and our work is tied to our ability to sustain ourselves. Mm-hmm. And yet we're ignoring on a cultural level the wild sources of nourishment that are our birthright mm-hmm. as beings on this planet that are all around us to be crafted. It takes skill and knowledge and time and investment and love to do it. Mm -hmm. But we can be growing our sustenance Mm -hmm. and being in a community of these really imaginative farmers and agroforesters and natural builders and craftspeople has taught me that, oh, what I'm seeing is not even scraping the surface of the like really wholesome nourishment mm. that I could be crafting from the forests around me, the food forests, and from soil and waters and the various wealth, mm-hmm. sources of wealth that are around us wherever we live. And I really believe that it's accessible no matter where we are, because on this planet, it's our birthright. Mm. It's just a question of how seriously have has our access mm-hmm. to those sources of nourishment been intruded upon. Compromised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. What you're describing, even as I'm listening to you, I feel it feels like my heart rate is slowing down because it's such a a lovely notion of like, what is possible and how we could live and and I also have to admit that it's one that I have like little windows into at various points in my life through um certain communities or relationships and and also a majority of my life has not like I haven't had that lens and so it's really interesting to 
again, to, to hold both of those things of like, I too believe in these various elements of, of our uh, sustenance and nourishment from, from the earth and especially like this connectivity that really on many levels seems to be lacking but clearly is also very present in many communities and to acknowledge for myself and my history and I know for probably like an overwhelming majority of folks like that's just not what we experience and so it's funny like before we had this whole conversation we were talking about like where life is finding us now and and this is something that after coming back from from the trail and and thinking about my life like I found myself getting sucked into into work again to sustain myself because that it's so hard to resist the pull of that yeah and I also experienced all the side effects of that and and of course it's such a privilege to even like have this ability to step back and be like whoa 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 what am I giving away for these dollars for like for to participate in this game and let me pump the brakes slow down a bit and consider like what might be other ways um of tapping into that vision that you described and as far as I can tell um it is it is in communities and in the groups and individuals who are like carving out that existence yeah which it sounds like you're very much a part of yeah and I'm a part of the work grind that you're talking about like Mm -hmm. I work 40 hours a week for an institution an educational institution and I get to see every day the effects that it has on myself and on the students that are graduating like on the one hand um, the 22-year-olds or the, you know, adults who have gone back and done deep investigation into certain topics at the graduate level, mm. um, these people have been equipped with a certain lens to really critically examine certain things about the way we're living, and yet, like, when you graduate from an institution like this saddled with debt... yeah the first question that you need to ask yourself is how am I going to make money? Mm-hmm. And like, how am I going to build a credit score? And like <laughs> all of these things that we need to participate in. Mm-hmm. And so I resonate deeply with that and the duality of like occupying a space that is professional and um, like yeah. ne- necessary for financial stability and also like occupy, occupying a visionary space where we're it feels like we're practicing a recreation of what could be possible. Yeah, absolutely. And the cool thing is, I mean, I'm just thinking about like folks we know in the Harrisonburg community that embody and exemplify that on all different kinds of levels, like having to play that game of because I, I, at this point, do kind of think of it as a game money really doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe if I was in a different position of life with a different understanding, I wouldn't think of it that way. But money feels like a game at this point. And especially because, like... I don't want to play anymore. No, I really <laughs> don't. But, but, like, that that is probably the healthiest way for me currently to think about it. Because anything, giving it any more weight, it will control you. And it will suck from the other areas of your life. And so, like not giving it 
I understand that it has a role and it is a real part of our existence, but not giving it that much power. Yeah. Um, because it's really not something that I want to reach the end of my life and, and look back and see all the ways that money limited me and um, influenced the way that I view myself, like, interiorly, which is probably more important, like, yeah. 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 I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking about... Um, I was younger when I had, like, these thoughts, but they still kind of ring true to me. Like, um, leaving certain jobs, being really burnt out, or leaving the academic sphere, being really burnt out. Like, I I have a pattern, and I know I'm not alone in this, of just, like, grinding until I can't anymore because it's... You hit a wall physically, mentally, emotionally, or at least I did, and literally having the thought of, like, I would rather die than go back and put myself through that. Again, it's not... It's not worth it. Mm. It's really not. Um, And yet, yeah, you see all the time the effects on the people who do participate in that, in those systems, in those institutions and corporations. And it's really really hard. Because, like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And also, what if that wasn't the only option? So, yeah, I guess I kind of lost my thread here. But to see... Everyone, well not everyone, but so many folks that we know who are making changes for themselves, like working the jobs, you know, buying the cars and the houses and and doing the thing, but also like gardening in their front yard. I'm talking about some specific folks in this particular case, but like making their own clothes, participating in communities that are focused on craft Love you, Taylor and Caroline. Hey! <laughs> Always. <laughs> but yeah, and I I mean, those are just my close, I have a very close view of those particular folks, but they inspire me, and there's so many people like them here. Yeah. You and I included, in our own ways, working to upend or disrupt um, these toxic paradigms. Yeah. And bringing it to our bodies a little bit is, mm. like, one, One, it kind of brings us into, like, the particular lens at which you come into this conversation. Yeah. And it also brings us... I like to think that it has the potential, recognizing the, the terrain of the body as a space for the potential for transformation Mm -hmm. of the most harmful dynamics that are going on with the grind and Mm -hmm. our social hierarchy of like the the grinders and the Mm -hmm. recliners um (laughs) Uh (laughs) the consumers um i i like to think that looking at the body as a potential terrain of transformation Mm. is a way that we can imagine everyone having access to something different yeah and one um particular way that i see that being possible is by looking at stress (laughs) amelia (laughs) yeah let's talk about stress So stress is actually the currency that rules a lot of our lives. I like regardless of if you are a working class single mother who's like 
basically the poster human mm-hmm. for like this is not fucking okay. No. Um yeah. or if you're someone if you're like me sitting right here realizing that even the relatively soft blows that we mm. that we get dealt mm. having to deal with the um worry and the scheduling like loads mm-hmm. and the demands of our responsibilities and potentialities mm-hmm. is really destructive mm-hmm. and on a on a somatic level a level of the body it is something that quickly starts to spiral out of control mm-hmm. i've been studying the neuroscience of this a little bit and it's really interesting how you can look at the the effect that the the main stress hormone in our body which is cortisol has on our main foundations of like regulation and stability in our body. Mm-hmm. Cortisol starts to when it is running rampant in our body. Well, first I'll say cortisol is useful when we're in a situation where we like need to mm-hmm. run away from a lion or something. Right. On a, but, a fundamental evolutionary level, it's, it's Yes. Useful. Like when we need to take action, cortisol is what kicks us into action. Mm-hmm. And we, t- we like take care of business. Mm-hmm. But when we become chronically stressed and chronically exposed to stresses that kick up our cortisol levels in our bodies... These, this hormone starts coursing through at a really uncontrollable level and it never comes down. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, like your sleep, your memory, your mood regulation, your appetite, mm-hmm. all of those things start to experience interference. Mm-hmm. And so then what's happening is you're starting to lose all of your foundations for just sustaining your body. And I don't think that we understand collectively how how important it is to prevent that from happening. Yeah, as I'm listening to you talk, it, it's a couple of things are sti- pointing at her words, oh my gosh, sticking out to me. The first one, and these are just, of course, things that like I identify because I've I've kind of explored them before. But the first one being like my own tendency to compare my stress and often compare as a means of like invalidating it. Like, oh, my stress isn't real stress though because I'm not a mother. My stress isn't real stress because I'm not in this horrible situation. Like I, I do live a privileged life and that is true. And I like on a certain reality level, it's important to acknowledge that. But then on a deeper somatic level, also to acknowledge and, and honor the fact that stress is stress is stress, as you're saying, and it does have this visceral, measurable effect that does express, not just in our personal bodies, but in our relationships and in our societies. And so it's this, it's this interesting like back and forth of, well everyone is different 
everyone handles stress differently. We're all made um, differently from like our bone structure ratios to our chemical, you know, balances, of course. And yet, how do we acknowledge this truth? Like, we all know we're stressed. Everybody's stressed. Yeah. And I, I love... I love the phrase that you use. I hate that we have to use it, but I love the phrase itself of like stress is the currency that we use. It's it's what, especially when you think of currency as like a current, it's like what we move through all the time. Mm. We are always in this choppy water and we're always getting tossed about and we never get to rest. Mm. Someone I think about um, in that, she's on. I just follow her on Instagram, Octavia Rahim. Um, has a, an amazing account. She's written... Um, pause insert book title here (laughs) um but her whole mo is is the radical revolution of rest Mm. and how like (laughs) (laughs) um how countercultural that is and i feel that like and really being strategic too about when and how we rest because rest is the kind of rest that we engage in has everything to do with how restorative and reparative it actually is. Like scrolling on your phone, binging Netflix, zoning out and eating, eating, you know, binge eating, any sort of like numbing binging is not actually reparative or restful. And like, we know that the same way that we know how cortisol functions. And we know that through our experience, like you just know. And I wonder if that contributes to like, these notions we have about rest that we we have to practice it and and we have to work with our guilt surrounding it that we needed in the first place we have to work with this tendency to make ourselves martyrs um and to deplete our resources and to and to like make it a competition of like who's depleting themselves the most yeah valorizing celebrating the people who are just like doing an impossible amount of things and calling that success and those people should not have to do those things yeah those people are often suffering from a mental health disorder yeah or they just have too much on their fucking plate I, i remember like hearing something from a mom of, like, the next time someone asks me, like, let me know if you need anything. It's like, I need you to take something off my plate. Like, I need you to help me. Yeah. Which, again, comes back to collectives. and Relationship. Relationship and leaning on each other. And and that, too, like, I, I am often, often thinking about things through the somatic perspective because it's where I'm most comfortable most of the time. Just, I'm... I like being in my body. I like the more I learn about it, these processes, it just makes intuitive sense that like if I'm existing in choppy water through my experience and my relationships are choppy, like I'm I'm never getting a sense of safety and security. It's it's this like nebulous notion. Yeah. That you never actually feel. Yeah. And for a lot of folks, they are so chronically stressed that it's it's kind of traumatizing. And then you get to the point where it's really hard to ever feel safe because that's trauma is like you can't, you can't get past it. You're stuck. Yeah. Trauma is the continual revisiting Mm -hmm. of the moment where you, your safety was taken away from you. And we think, and there's like that capital T trauma, but there's little T trauma too, that 
can also build over time. And I, I think we are, again, sort of collectively and socially not, not talking as much about that because we have this indi- individual impulse, because we are comparing ourselves to everyone else, because we have that martyr complex of, like, someone always has it worse than me. Yeah. We don't acknowledge the truth of, like, this hurts. I don't know if I can do this. Like, I, I feel like I should be able to keep up, and I and I'm flailing. Yeah, and I'm too afraid to ask for help. I'm too because I could have it worse. Mm-hmm. And the person that I need help from is also probably strapped. Is also just overburdened. To me, sometimes it almost feels like sinister and diabolical the way that all of the um, compounding stresses and, like, mechanisms of grinding people down into these, like, weaker humans Mm -hmm. (laughs) functions to reinforce the existing power structures Mm -hmm. and just to be really clear about the power structures that I'm talking about it's like militarist industrialist capitalist white supremacist racist Mm -hmm. like patriarchal social control it's good to name them yeah and clear and uh I guess I would add like just like whatever kind of like ecological suicide we're embarking on um yeah but to me it almost seems like some master plan has been laid out to like get us from every direction but that's just the way that natural feedback loops function And sometimes I feel the same way when I study the body. It's like, how does every little piece function so intricately perfect Mm -hmm. to to make life and to support Mm -hmm. everything that needs to happen in our bodies? Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in a science class and had that epiphany? They're just like, everything works together. It's insane. The body's a universe. And so what does that tell us? That whether we're looking at the universe or we're looking at the body or we're looking at society, everything builds on each other and they fit together. Life is always looking for points of connection to connect with. And that connection can be in a positive direction or a negative direction, but they compound. This also, and I'm going to reference Adrienne Marie Brown again in her podcast with Krista Tippett and Albine because they talk about this on one, at one point. Um, Adrian Marie Brown says, like, I love fractals. Mm-hmm. And this, the, the way that fractals tell us that, like, patterns repeat in nature, in our bodies, in the universe. Like, there are certain trends and tendencies that life loves. And it gives us a, a scaffold, a structure, a lens through which to understand what's happening in our microcosms. Yeah. the tiniest sort of worlds and then what's happening in on a macro scale as well. Yeah. And it really got me thinking um as overwhelming as all of this can can feel at times like the state of the world and the planet and the political system and our society and it's just like you spiral out because of course it's too big. You can't you can't touch it. 
but when I think about what I understand, the little that I understand because this body is so intricate and overwhelmingly beautiful, but the little pieces that I learn in that make intuitive sense, mm. such as stress is, I keep using this word, but stress is toxic yeah. and rest is necessary and safe relationships are healing and um, nourishing food it is important and it's medicine is medicine yeah and so is music and art yeah. and play yeah like i know how i know what my life is like when i'm my best self which is also a privilege but yeah um and remembering that yeah as you said before like there is a movement toward good or toward evil like, I don't know if positive or negative is what I want there. It's really, like, good or evil. Um, and I don't understand many things. I don't understand much at all. But, like, at the very, very least, if I could orient my individual life toward a greater good for me personally and for the people that I come into contact with and trust that the ripple effect that that has what uh, the most you can do I guess sounds pretty good to me <laughs> you know it actually makes me think of I don't know if you ever read this book um throwback to like childhood Madeline Lang- Langle every yeah. Good time yeah yeah I mean that's like yes her whole thing is these tiny actions that happen with these characters have bigger ripple effects and it's it's of course like a broader narrative that's in every sort of like Right. Archetypal, mythical stories. It's an archetype, yeah. Totally. That's really cool. (laughs) And it's a fractal. Yeah, like Romanesco. The sauce? Isn't it a vegetable? (laughs) (laughs) Like the vegetable, you know what I'm talking about? The one that looks like broccoli, but it's like geometric. Is that Romanesco? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, I thought that was like broccoli rob. Nah, dude. It's, it's got fractals. It's so cool. That's so true. Yeah. You know which one I'm talking about. Like a, it's like a cabbage we're brassica calling it, thing. Yeah, it's a brassica. We're yeah. calling it different names, but we're talking <laughs> about the same thing. It patterns repeating. Yeah. Like, so if you're interested in this, uh, Adrienne Marie Brown's book where she talks about all of these patterns, these fractals, is called Emergent Strategy. Yeah. And it's like studying the way that this understanding of the repeating design Mm -hmm. of natural patterns can be applied to social movements in order to imagine and create and practice and bring about the changes that we want to see for our collective futures. Hell yeah. And it makes me think about, I've been reading um, a lot about social movements as a student at the Center for Justice and Peace Building. And in countless different texts, like I was reading Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Freire, I was reading Emergent Strategy by Adrian Marie Brown, reading um, My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menicum. And all of these books are kind of positing the same idea that we need to practice the relationships that we want to see in a liberated future Mm -hmm. 
as we are trying to build that future. Mm-hmm. And it can be very easy to look at the vision that you might have for change and be like, once we get there, yeah. we're going to change how we treat each other. Or like even once we get there, we're going to bring in all those other people who aren't there with us yet. Yeah. But we need to practice on the small scale. Absolutely. The changes that we want to collectively see, because as Adrian Marie Brown says, the small is a reflection of the large. Mm-hmm. And so how are you practicing the kinds of nourishment mm-hmm. and holism and somatic intelligence that you want to grow into personally and for us collectively yeah such a good question such a necessary question um and i i in this question like inevitably often feel very confronted by my imperfect humanity right like this is i love that you're referencing these um different books and and ideas And also, coming from, I guess, the perspective and background that I have, even minimally, but, like, it's also very Buddhist of, like, practicing compassion and being in the here and now and radically um, sort of offering yourself to, well, yourself and the people around you. Um, And so to answer that question, something that has really since, since my graduate experience in the um, counseling program that I was in, um, like just learning so much about my assumptions about myself and other people and how limiting, um, and distancing they can be just trying to make more connections as often as possible, putting aside, um, ideas about people and, as long as those interactions aren't actively harmful, attempting to leave a lot of space for mutual human compassion, i.e. like you're doing the best you can with what you got and so am I, with our limited understanding about what's happening, like you're a person, I'm a person, there's a baseline level of dignity and respect between us. Um, Crucial. Yeah, yeah, And, and setting aside as much as I can, like again, these, assumptions about who people are and what they're about because I'm often wrong yeah or or those assumptions even if I'm right um allow me to gloss over like key components of bonding because I'm so shocked by how we're different Mm. and I just I remember a professor saying something to the effect of like what scares me the most about the times we're in is it is the issues themselves um but it's also our increasing inability to be able to talk about them, to be able to meet each other, even in our differences. Um, and that, so that's something that really stuck with me and that I attempt to practice. But I have to acknowledge again that like I, it's hard. Yeah. It's incredibly vulnerable work. It's incredibly scary. And I often feel um, unequipped or, yeah. or ill-equipped. And so as much as I can, given the tools I have in my wheelhouse of um, down-regulating my nervous system through rest, through um, mindful movement, through nourishing myself the best ways I know how, like those are all actively parts of my 
practice as a person. Um, not to better myself for consumption, not to better myself for competition, but to better myself for connection. Yes. Yeah. I hate, I hate self-help, you know? Oh, I love self-help. I love it too. <laughs> no, I love it too. But like, I hate what it's, what it can become. Mm-hmm. You know, how it can pull away, like, it can get so skewed and can become this gross, like... Oh, really gross, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which, of course, I mean, of course, like, all these beautiful things have their flip side of just, like, ew. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, that's maybe someone who has retreated too much into, like, a homogenous space of ideas and practice. Sure, and isn't... Isn't in absorbed. dialogue yeah. with the like reality that a larger group is living. Yeah. Um, and I think we can all be guilty of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And part of the reason that I'm studying conflict transformation is because I'm very wired towards like a binary way of thinking about mm-hmm. like these people are with me or against me. Mm. Um, these people are for the cause or they're against it. Mm-hmm. And in Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed, the argument that he's making is like revolutionary social change, if that's what you want, which he was working in a context where he was in the north of Brazil trying to educate, um, do literary, literacy education, um, for some of the most impoverished people of the country. And coming out of that context, imagining like the, the depths of that kind of poverty, Mm -hmm. which is something that I haven't lived or touched. Mm -hmm. And, um, for him to say, Revolutionary social change doesn't happen until the oppressed themselves are the makers of the world they want to live in. Mm. They are in dialogue together, working to name their world in order to transform it. And that can only come from those who are oppressed. Wow. Not the oppressors, because any... Sure. It's Any an education, it's like it's paternalistic yeah. or it's just not going to stick or it's serving an ulterior motive. Uh-huh. Savior complex, let me help yes. you. Yes. So it's funny the parallels, at least that I'm drawing from the background of counseling work, is, is very much the same of like you, like you don't go into a therapeutic relationship, per my understanding anyway, with the, the notion of like fixing someone or helping them. Right. You are just a facilitator. You are there for them to find themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And if, if, if we don't own the changes that we want in our own lives, then they're not going to, we're not going to be the ones to carry them out. And isn't it funny, like, I, as you're saying that, I can just, like, feel the resonance of that truth through every, every like, scope that we're, we're talking about it. It keeps coming back to, like, like, you have to have your ownership personally. Yes. In order to contribute to the broader scope. And yet we have this, at least I do, knee-jerk, like, oh, that's, that's so selfish. Yeah. Taking care of and, and, and investigating, um this like 
individual expression is there's something inherently bad or wrong about it which you know is worth exploring and that and that's me and my my stuff and probably my family's stuff and my our culture's stuff and right um but it's just yeah interesting to hear that little voice pop up even as I listen listen to you talk and I'm just like yeah fuck yeah yeah and to to me I think about the next thing that he's saying, Paulo mm-hmm. Freire, is like, I, I just finished this book yesterday, so. Oh, really? It's fresh well, you, in the mind. You're making me want to read it, it sounds. Read it. Okay. Read <laughs> Pedagogy of the Oppressed. The next thing that he says is like, for those who belong to the class of the oppressors, mm-hmm. the way toward revolution and redemption mm-hmm. is to abandon your class Mm -hmm. and to truly and genuinely and authentically Mm -hmm. go in solidarity Mm -hmm. with the oppressed and to take up the cause collectively Mm -hmm. of the oppressed and like partner and build together Mm -hmm. and for me that's part of like working with the guilt of being privileged and the guilt of like having so much um comfort and provision Mm -hmm. that has like made me who I am now but like okay now I'm awake and like I want to lend my efforts to the cause of liberation that is in defiance and confrontation of the white supremacist patriarchal power structure yeah the time has never been more inviting, I feel like, to do that. Because it's like, well, it is kind of destroying humanity's chance of survival. Mm-hmm. And like, there's all of these incredible social movements that are magnetic mm-hmm. to welcome people. We're at a time when people are being welcomed to do exactly that. Mm-hmm. Abandon their class and mm-hmm. go join in solidarity with the cause of social revolution yeah cultural revolution right on and you may have to kind of assess like when can i take that step yeah but that doesn't mean that you can't build towards it until you're like ready to take the leap you know right on yeah yeah ooh, ooh. <laughs> challenge accepted Ch- yeah right right <laughs> I mean, how can challenge not be accepted, though? I mean, like, I, everyone has their own pace of change and their own obstacles to change. And yet, I think we all also have this, like, intuitive sort of moral impulse to, like, contribute, again, to the greater good, to just, like, follow what feels right and good. And once you wake up or once you start to get these glimmers of, like, what is going on, and the more you listen to people, especially the oppressed, mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine. Although I, I'm sure it's it's true that like there are, just as there is this movement towards social cultural revolution, and participating, and joining, and abandoning our class like a privileged class, there is also a strong resistance born out of fear and, in like, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But um. All I'm trying to say with this is, like, there is a distinct and very 
sort of keen feeling, at least that I get, of just like, yeah, once once you see these movements happening, like who am I to say no? How could I? Yeah. And really the question more so becomes like, how will I contribute then? Mm-hmm. And building to- toward it, as you're saying, in a way that like makes sense personally, but continuing to build toward it and take those steps. Yeah. As I'm able, given the context that I'm in and that in itself is a level of courage and practice of like continuously checking in of like, all right, I don't want to leave myself behind. I don't want to like, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to like continue these patterns of like shame and guilt because that's not going to be helpful in in the next step. Um, and you don't want to like go out into the world and be like, I'm going to be Alicia Garza. I'm going to be like Angela Davis. Mm -hmm. And not be able to sustain the things that you, like... Totally. When you, in that moment of inspiration, you're like, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, how do we show up as ourselves and know that we're wanted as ourselves? You are needed. Yeah. And you belong right there. Yeah. I was listening to um, this woman named Jessica Laniato, who has a podcast about basically, like, combining social change with astrology... I love her, and um, she was saying, like, this is a time, she was speaking in response to the dismantling of the Roe versus Wade protection of the right to abortion, and she was speaking about, like, this is the time to look in the mirror (laughs) and think about what kind of action can you sustain. It's really important to self-educate about like what can be done social movements are not new there's so much that we can draw from talking about wealth there is so much (laughs) that we can draw from to guide us in imagining how we could contribute to collective healing Mm -hmm. and transformation but what can you sustain what is authentic to who you are Many of us have never been given an opportunity to ask that question outside of the context of our, like, clinging to privilege Mm. and clinging to, like, material identity markers. So that is the question that I would leave us with. (laughs) Looking in the mirror... And questioning what is authentic to you that you can contribute and sustain. Mic drop. Totally. Period. (laughs) Right on. Thank you so much. Amelia, thank you. This is potent as previously good to know that we can just take off Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. into like you know it's like we were flying together yeah yeah. it's like we were a flock of geese (laughs) and like using each other to like uh you know maintain that forward direction we're listening to each other and paying attention (laughs) and and we give a shit (laughs) on the right like 
I care about what you have to say and you have some good shit to say and vice versa. Like it, yeah. this is the stuff. And I think it's cool to be having this conversation with you because this is one example of that work. It's just showing up and, and being present and hearing each other respectfully. And, and yeah, I'm so grateful that you were willing to come back to be on this sh- podcast again. And I just know that, like, there are so many wise people in my life. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to, like, create this space. So. I'm honored to be a return visitor to this space. Like, a a little, yeah. (laughs) Bashfully honored and um, just really soaking in the gratitude of what you're doing. Mm. Of your presence in our community. Um... And with the continued work in this podcast, it's so dope what you're doing. Mm. So needed. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.